Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome, everyone, to the Benefits Executive Roundtable Season 2. I want to welcome today Marilyn Monahan from Monahan Law Office to Part 1 of our two-part podcast series today. We'll be talking about, in Part 1, COVID-19 legislation and how it affects employers, the documentation and communications employers must be aware of, FFCRA paid leaves and how California laws wrap around the federal law, and employer considerations regarding employees working from home. So I want to say welcome, Marilyn, and thank you so much for being here once again for Season 2. Well, thanks, Dorothy. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. Great. I'm glad that you're here. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, so I'll just dive right in if that's okay with you. Um, so I wanted to ask you first, what are the most common types of questions you're getting from clients right now related to COVID-19 legislation and related laws? Right now, the focus seems to be on implementation. Employers seem to be generally familiar with the new laws, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, and the CARES Act as well as the regulatory guidance issued by the Department of Labor and the IRS. And they also seem to be familiar with regard to these laws, with what they have to do to comply. But right now, many seem to have questions about how to implement the laws and the regulations in specific fact situations. One resource that employers might find helpful in this regard is the extensive set of FAQs the Department of Labor has issued to help employers implement the two-page leave provisions in the FFCRA. The DOL periodically updates this list of FAQs, although they do not publicize the additions when they come out. So it's good to monitor them periodically to see if they've added some new FAQs. Yes, and that's very true because I know that from time to time I was waiting for things to come out, uh, new things, and, and you sent me an email and say, hey, this just came out. And if you hadn't told me that, I would not have known. So I just wanted to mention that, yes, you definitely have to check back. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Fortunately, they seem to tack them on to the end so that they're easy to find when they do issue them. But you you have to watch for them because they don't tell you they've done it. They don't make any announcements. Um, many of the most recent additions focus on how to apply the paid leave provisions to specific fact situations. Uh, for example, how leave rights applies to various going back to school scenarios. The second area of focus seems to be concern among employers about getting back to work and what they are required to do to ensure the workplace is safe and employees are protected. I know we plan to talk about this topic in more detail later in the podcast. Yes, and we definitely will. Well, the Department of Health and Human Services recently extended the public health emergency uh, for COVID-19. Can you update us a bit on that and tell us why that matters? Absolutely. The Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, announced that effective July 25th of this year, as a result of the continued consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic, the previously declared public health emergency would be renewed for another 90 days. As a result, it now runs until Friday, October 23, 2020. It could always be extended again, but as of now, um, it's running through October 23, 2020. 
This deadline matters for several reasons, including the fact that some changes created by Congress and the administration due to COVID-19, such as the mandate in FSCRA and the CARES Act to cover testing for COVID-19 without cost sharing, are tied to this date. Therefore, for example, unless the date is extended again, carriers may stop covering testing for COVID-19 without cost sharing after October 23. Well, that's a good thing to know. What kind of documentation and communications do employers have to have uh, for their health plans and their cafeteria plans in relation to COVID-19 legislation and all the other changes? Well, there are several areas to highlight here. There are um, a number of ways in which employers need to update their internal documentation relating to COVID-19 as well as to keep their employees informed. First, the FSCRA has a posting requirement that went into effect last April 1st. Employers subject to the two paid leave provisions in FSCRA, those are employers with 499 or fewer employees, must comply with that mandate. The DOL has issued a poster employers can use. They have also issued a translated version of that poster and has also issued a separate set of FAQs explaining specifically how you can fulfill the posting requirement. And just a reminder to employers, the FFCRA's paid leave provisions went into effect on April 1, 2020, and they apply to leaves taken between April 1 and December 31, 2020. So they're still in effect and will remain in effect through the end of the year. A second category of documentation and communication has to do with the fact that any changes you make to your employee benefit plans, such as your health plan, your dental plan, or your vision plan, as a result of COVID-19, as well as any changes you make to your cafeteria plan, should be documented. And once they're documented, they should then be communicated to employees so that the employees are made aware of their rights, obligations, and benefits under the plan. So this might include situations in which you have enhanced benefits, such as covering COVID-19 testing without cost sharing, or changed benefits, or added mid-year enrollment opportunities, and the like. Now, there are, of course, rules that govern all of this. No, you're kidding. For example, you're kidding me, right? More rules? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And there are always rules, yeah. um, especially in the employee benefits world. So one set of rules, for example, comes up under ERISA, which is the federal law administered by the DOL that governs employer group benefit plans. And that rule has to do with the fact that employers must include in what we call their summary plan description or their SPD, an accurate description of the employee's rights and obligations under the plan, as well as specific terms and conditions such as eligibility rules, benefits covered, cost sharing amounts, and so forth. In addition to the SPD, health plans must have what we call a summary of benefits and coverage or SBC. There's a whole specific set of content rules with regard to the SBC. So an SPD is usually amended through the use of what we call, another term of art, Summary of Material Modifications or SMM, basically an amendment, um, which is drafted, adopted, and distributed to participants. So if you're making a change in benefits, you need to look at your SBC, you need to look at your SPD, you need to determine whether or not you need to update the planned language as a result of that change in benefits, and then you need to draft an amendment, which we call a summary of material modifications, adopt it, and then distribute it to participants. So easy peasy, nothing to it whatsoever. Sorry. (laughs) 
Easy peasy. Um, there's another documentation requirement for those employers who have a cafeteria plan, and that's really most employers. The cafeteria plan is administered not by the DOL, but by the IRS. And of course, the IRS has rules about cafeteria plans. Um, and again, if you're making any changes to your cafeteria plan as a result of COVID-19, those changes also have to be documented and may have to be distributed. So for example, if you added a new mid-year enrollment opportunity because the IRS issued some guidance saying that employers could do so because of COVID-19, then that uh, change would have to be documented. So that's the first two categories. A third category of communication and documentation is, let's say you have a fully insured plan and the carrier sends documentation to the employer that they intend to be distributed to employees. Obviously, employers should therefore go ahead and distribute those. Another reminder that I want to give you, my fourth category happens to be um, in connection with open enrollment. We're kind of moving into open enrollment season now, and so I would recommend to employers, don't forget to restructure your open enrollment processes to include those individuals who are working remotely. So this is both a distribution and a communication requirement. So if you have employees or most of your workforce is now working remotely, you might have to tweak your past open enrollment practices to make certain that they get the documentation they're entitled to, like a copy of the SPD and the SBC and the SMM, as well as just to make certain they're included in the process. So that's anyone working remotely, that's um, someone on leave, that's a COBRA qualified beneficiary. All of those individuals are entitled to receive plan documentation and to participate in the open enrollment process. And then a final tip I would like to offer to employers is, I've talked now about the actual legal requirements you have to satisfy, but don't forget that you can always be um, overly inclusive and communicate more than the law mandates. So, and this is a perfect time in which to do that. Employees may need their benefit plans, but in ways that they haven't used them in the past. They may not be familiar with the preventive care benefit without cost sharing if you offer that. And as flu season comes around, they might want to know about that so they can go and get their flu shots. They might not be familiar with how the telehealth benefit works, and they might be increasingly interested in the telehealth benefit. Um, you can also send out communications and newsletters about working remotely and work-life balance and um, staying healthy. Um, or if you've got an EAP, an employee assistance program, there might be a lot of benefits uh, built into your EAP that might be of particular interest to employees now that they're going through so many changes with working from home, maybe um, experiencing some financial issues and they want some financial advice, maybe they need counseling, maybe they need childcare, and your EAP may be able to provide some information in that regard. Well, actually, that's very good information, particularly the EAP information, because a lot of people do have additional needs right now that they might not have thought they had in the past. And thank you for also mentioning the telemedicine component, because that's something that people didn't really think about too much before COVID-19, but now it's pretty much been mandatory the last few months. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of telemedicine uh, going, uh, continuing on in the future as well. By the way, I have recently recorded a podcast on that as well. We'll be airing that uh, in the not too distant future as well. So um, that's very good information. Are there any other communication issues that we should be considering? 
Yes, there are. Um, whether your plan is fully insured or self-funded, you need to communicate with your service providers. Before you implement any of the changes to the plan terms, you should communicate your intent with your broker, your carrier, your TPA, your payroll provider, and your stop-loss carrier if you're self-funded. You do not want to announce a change to your employees and then hear that your carrier won't agree, your TPA or your payroll provider can't process it, or your stop-loss carrier won't cover it. As one example, um, the IRS issued some guidelines saying that employers could allow mid-year open enrollment opportunities in their health plans, but not all carriers, I've heard, were agreeable to that. So before the employer promises that opportunity to their employees, they need to make certain their carrier is going to be fully on board. Your service providers are another reason to ensure you document all material plan changes. They may require the documentation before they will agree to the change so that they fully understand what you intend to do, or they may need a document describing the terms of the change so it is clear to them how to implement it. Okay. Uh, that sounds like a lot of information, actually. I'm glad we're talking about this. Let's talk. I'm going to change subjects. So let's change gears here a little bit, although this was quite interesting. Uh, let's talk first about the uh, one of the hottest topics in human resources right now, which is obviously the FFCRA paid leaves. We did mention that already earlier. You and I did some pretty detailed webinars at the beginning of the COVID-19 shutdowns on this. And thank you for that, by the way. Uh, we all know it's temporary, um, but what are the best takeaways and the most important advice that you can give to everyone related to the FFCRA paid leaves, and where can they go for more information? Well, as you know, there are two paid leave provisions in the FFCRA. There's the paid sick leave provision and the paid FMLA expansion. The leave provisions apply to private employers with fewer than 500 employees and government employers with one or more employees. The first thing an employer should do with regard to these paid leave laws is determine whether or not, as an employer, they are subject to the law. Let's say you're not subject to the law because you have over 500 employees. Don't forget that you may be subject to a municipal ordinance that some cities have passed providing for paid leave benefits um, at the municipal level. So the analysis doesn't end with the family's first law. The second item to think about is remember that the FFCRA's two paid leave provisions apply to leave taken between April 1 and December 31 of this year, so there's still time for employees to ask for leave under these two provisions. Another item for the employers to think about is they should have a basic understanding of the terms of the law so that if a situation arises where an employee might have a right to paid leave, you can begin the analysis of whether and how the law might apply and what you have to do to implement it. And then with that basic understanding, the next item is know where you need to go to get help and advice and where you can access essential resources. You may need to seek out legal advice from a lawyer. Or you may need to contact an HR consultant. As we talked about earlier, the Department of Labor has issued quite a bit of information um, for employers to help them understand and implement the paid leave law. That includes the extensive set of FAQs we talked about earlier. I think they're up to about 100 now. They've issued some regulations. They've issued some very helpful short fact sheets, both for employers and employees, and some quick tips, which are something that the employer can have handy for reference or distribute to their employees. And 
frankly, a quick Google search will pull up the Department of Labor's main COVID-19 page with links to all of these resources. Yeah, and I know there's a ton of information out there. Uh, can you just briefly mention some of the, again, some of the uh, websites? You mentioned the Department of Labor, but can you mention some of them that they could go to? Yes. So there's a general DOL website on the coronavirus, which is dol.gov backslash coronavirus, which contains links to workplace safety and unemployment benefits. The Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor has its own web page devoted to the pandemic, and that's dol.gov backslash agencies backslash WHD backslash pandemic. And that includes a lot of very helpful information on um, the FAQs we've talked about with regard to paid leave, the mandatory poster, the fact sheets, and the regulations. Um, There's also links to information there um, as to how COVID-19 applies with regard to the Service Contract Act, the Fair Labor Standards Act, and existing provisions of FMLA. California, uh, for those California employers uh, who are participating or listening in today, has a number of websites. There's an official website for the state, covid19.ca.gov. The Labor and Workforce Development Agency has its own website, labor.ca.gov backslash coronavirus 2019. Um, And there are links there for both workers and employers. The Department of Industrial Relations has its own website. Um, (laughs) The link is kind of long to read out, so I would Google that. The California Department of Industrial Relations website on COVID-19. All sorts of information there. Side-by-side comparison of COVID-19 paid leave laws an update on who's an essential and who's a non-essential worker, information on California's WARN Act for those people who are having layoffs, um, workplace posters, and so forth and so on. Also, information on safe reopening FAQs for workers and employers. And I'll also add, Dorothy, you have created a um, ABC Advanced Benefit Consulting COVID-19 guide, which provides links to a lot of this information. And I think that's available for download from your website, if I'm correct. Yeah, actually, people can just uh, submit uh, a form that's just as an interest form, and then we'll send it to them by email. So yeah, it is a comprehensive guide. And and, uh, most people will get that for free. So there's no cost to that. What I did was just, as you said, I just gathered all of this information from all these sites. Because one of the things that I know my client said to me was, all this information that you keep sending us and all these websites is great, but I don't have time to go to all these websites. I'm too confused because, you know, I need to have like a master table of contents just to where to go. And I'm, you know, I don't know what to go, you know, where to go for what. So I try to put it all in a, in a nice uh, guide and we have paper versions, of course, but the downloaded version of the electronic um, file is great because you can just click on all of the links and they'll, um, the hyperlinks will go directly to those sites to pull down what it is that I'm talking about, along with some of the articles that I had written and, and that were published nationwide and so forth, explaining all of these provisions to them and so forth. So so it's pretty helpful, and thanks for bringing that up. And and again, you can go to our website, advancedbenefitconsulting.com, in the COVID-19 section. Um, you just click on it, and it basically asks you to fill out some basic information, your name, you know, your, your company name, um, your email address, and that sort of thing. And then um, we will be sending it out to you. And again, the majority of all types of industries will, will get that um, electronic version for free. It's great that they're providing all these resources, but it can feel daunting at times. 
to work your way through them, yeah. especially if you've got an employee who's just called in and said, I want leave and I want it now. Mm-hmm. What do I do? I uh, so it's helpful to have them gathered together so that you're prepared um, when those calls come through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why exactly why I took the time to uh, put that together because I thought that'd be very helpful for employers. And so far, um, most of the uh, employer groups that have, you know, that have a copy of it have thanked me over and over again because it's been so helpful for them. So thank you for bringing that up. Can you talk briefly about the tax credits available to employers who are um, subject to the paid leave provisions in the FFCRA? Yes, and I think this is important for employers to know about because I think um, employers feel um, a little bit um, concerned about uh, the impact to their bottom line in the event they are obligated to uh, pay out benefits under these paid leave provisions in the FFCRA. So it is important for them to know that they are entitled to a dollar-for-dollar tax credit for any paid leave wages that they pay out under the uh, two paid leave provisions in the FFCRA. Um, The credit is taken against the employer's payroll tax liability as it falls due. So the employer generally does not even have to wait for a refund check. They can just take the credit in advance. The credit also includes an allocable percentage of the cost of the employee's health benefits. With regard to the tax credits, there are some points for employers to remember. The paid leave provisions are subject to certain maximum wage limits. These are specified in the Department of Labor fact sheets that I've mentioned. If employers exceed those limits, if they pay the employees out on paid leave more than the limits mandate, they are entitled to do so, but they will not receive a tax credit for the excess excess amount. Also, the IRS requires employers to maintain adequate documentation to support the tax credit. You don't have to submit that. You don't have to submit the documentation when you're requesting the tax credit, but you need to have it available in your files so that if they ever audit you, you can prove um, the basis for making the payments and how much you paid and how you calculated the wage that you paid out under the paid leave provisions, as well as the allocable cost of employee benefits. Once again, we have an extensive set of FAQs on this particular topic. In this case, um, they're issued by the IRS rather than the DOL. They're divided up by subject matter, and they're a very good starting point for an employer who has questions about how the tax credits apply. Yeah, and that's that's good information because a lot of uh, my clients ask me about how the DIA tax credit works, and uh, I had to walk through them you know, all of this stuff with them. So it's nice. It's nice to be able to talk about that because, you know, they know what the laws are. They know they're supposed to do it, but they may not understand, you know, the steps that they have to take. So thanks. To, thank you very much for covering that. Um, can you remind everyone that they need to understand, uh, you know, that they need to wrap the federal FFCRA leaves around the existing leave laws and perhaps give us a little advice on how to do that best? Because it is kind of complicated. It can be complicated, and it's a very important topic. Our existing leave laws did not disappear with COVID-19. The FSCRA added new leave benefits for employees, but it didn't um, remove the old benefits, which are still in place. And it is possible that um, employees might be entitled to benefits under those laws. So don't forget about those existing leave laws, such as existing FMLA benefits. 
or existing um, state leave laws, such as the California Families Rights Act, which we also refer to as CIFRA, the Healthy Workplaces and Healthy Families Act, which requires employers to provide sick leave, as well as local laws. I mentioned earlier that some municipalities have been passing um, paid leave provisions in light of COVID-19, but some of them had them in place prior to COVID-19, such as San Francisco's paid sick leave ordinance. Mm -hmm. Um, You also might, as an employer, have an existing sick leave policy that might provide benefits in certain circumstances for someone who's going out. There's state disability insurance for wage replacement, as well as long-term and short-term disability policies. There's also, in California, the Paid Family Leave Program, or PFL, which also provides wage replacement. If someone contracts COVID-19 in the workplace, they might be entitled to workers' comp benefits. And if they have a reduction in hours or are uh, furloughed or terminated, they might be entitled to unemployment benefits. So here's an example. Let's say you are an employer and you have 500 or more employees, and so you're not subject to the paid leave provisions of the Families First Act. You may still be subject to the existing provisions of FMLA. So let's say an employee contracts COVID-19 or a family member of an employee contracts COVID-19. The employee may be eligible to take unpaid leave under existing FMLA because they've had, they have a serious health condition or their family member has a serious health condition. That same employee may be entitled to wage replacement benefits under state disability programs or a group or individual uh, short-term or long-term disability policy or California's paid family leave program if they're paying, um, if they're caring for a family member. One helpful device that was created at the beginning of the pandemic is the state of California created a chart of some of the laws that employers should consider when employees request time off or other leave. Um, And this is a good starting point for some of this analysis. That is at the um, Labor and Workforce Development Agency website, which I mentioned earlier. So my best advice to employers who get one of these leave requests is to tackle the situation by gathering all available facts, reviewing each potential leave law, eliminating those that don't apply, figuring out those which might apply, and then determining um, how they should proceed in light of that particular situation. Yeah, again, once I'm going to say it again, easy peasy stuff, right? (laughs) It's it's complicated. That's right. It's it's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. So we're all dealing with the effects of COVID-19 still, obviously. Um, A lot of us are still working at home. You and I are working at home from right now. Obviously, we're both on our headsets and our computers, and I believe you're on your phone, actually. So thank you for doing this in in light of COVID-19 and our, you know, all of our technical challenges here. Um, And in HR, that brings with it a tremendous amount of challenges and pressures. Uh, Let's face it, quite often the executives turn to HR and say, this is complicated. You figure it out and let me know what, you know, let me know what we need to do or find a way to fix it or find a way to make it work. Or my personal favorite is, I've heard this several times from my clients saying this to their HR departments, find a way to get us out of this, having to deal with this. We don't want to deal with this law. So what are your thoughts and what are your best, uh, what's your best advice to HR professionals who are dealing with all of this right now? This is a very challenging time for HR professionals. Um, I feel for you. I know you're very busy these days, um, and you've got a lot on your plate, not only 
explaining the laws and the issues to employees, but also to um, your boss and the executive team. So for those in HR, remind your boss and the executive team that you report to that the situation is new and it's always evolving, and you will need resources to help you through this process. I think it would be very challenging for an HR professional to try to grapple with this only on, on their own. Then for sure. determine for sure. For where sure. You... I'm sorry. For sure. <laughs> they need help. Absolutely. Then determine where you can get the help you need. It might be from outside counsel. It might be from HR consultants. It might be from um, services such as the Cal Chamber or business groups that you're affiliated with. It might be from groups like Pyra or SHRM that can provide you with uh, a link to some resources, colleagues to talk to, and so forth. I think the next thing is to break down each step to the reopening process and start working your way through them. It might help to give your boss a time frame for preparation and implementation, plus some budget figures, if possible, to determine what those might be. I I think, based on the conversations I'm having with employers, that getting back to work seems to be one of the biggest challenges HR is facing, even more so in some ways than implementing the family's first paid leave provisions. Because of all, because all of the rules and all of the best practices are new to this circumstance and can even change midstream, sometimes even daily. Yeah, for sure. HR and the executive team will have to stay informed and they will have to remain flexible. You need to be focused on protecting employees, your greatest asset, as well as complying with the law. Yes. And in some cases, also protecting your clients if you are in a business where you have clients coming into the office um, or coming into your retail establishment and so forth. Yeah. What do you recommend the first steps be while uh, planning to bring employees back to the office? Well, as we've talked about a couple of times already in the podcast, this can seem like a daunting task. So I think the first thing to do is get your outside resources lined up. And the next thing to do is get your boss on board because it's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take flexibility and it's probably going to take resources. I think a good place to start is with the recently updated employer playbook for a safe reopening, which the state of California updated at the end of July. It is available from, for download um, from the state's website. The playbook includes a section on how to open safely, as well as another section on what to do if there is a case of COVID-19 in the workplace. So I would start with the section on how to open safely and work your way through that. With regard to reopening safely, the specific approach to take and the rules to follow depend on your industry and they depend on your particular office setup. As part of your planning, Don't forget about OSHA rules, Cal-OSHA rules, and workers' compensation concerns. So to give you a little bit of a rundown uh, taken from the playbook, it outlines steps employers should take as part of this reopening process, starting with performing a detailed risk assessment and creating a work site-specific COVID-19 prevention plan. Dorothy, you'll be familiar with the concept of risk assessments from the HIPAA world. Yeah, absolutely. So after you conduct your work risk assessment and you create a work site-specific COVID-19 prevention plan, the next step is train your workers on how to limit the spread of COVID-19. This will include how to screen themselves for symptoms and advising them when to stay home. 
You're going to want to set up individual control measures and screenings. You're going to want to put disinfectant protocols in place, and you're going to want to establish physical distancing guidelines, as well as universal face covering requirements in accordance with California Department of Public Health guidelines. Yeah, just again, a few a few small items that they need to think about before they bring people back. <laughs> I know, I know. Easy peasy. Easy peasy, I know. Well, what kind of document? <laughs> I know, whatever. <laughs> Here we keep coming back to that. It is. Simple, simple process. I don't know why people are getting confused at all. Just, it's just seems really simple to me. Uh, what kind of documentation and communications do employers uh, have to be aware of and have to prepare as they bring people back to work? We talked about document and, uh, documentation and communications earlier, but let's talk now specifically to bringing people back to work. After the employer conducts a risk assessment and writes its implementation plan, the next step is to train employees. As part of this process, the employer should communicate to employees the rules it has put in place regarding such steps as individual control measures and screenings, disinfection protocols, physical distancing guidelines, and face covering requirements. That The playbook I referenced earlier contains links to guidance for specific industries, and that guidance then includes more specific information on the type of written plan that should be put in place and the training and communications to be provided to employees. Thank you. Um, and by the way, in case you're in case you hear any background noises, my uh, dog's been uh, a little upset just recently because the gardeners showed up a little bit early today. So if we do have any any uh, sounds of gardening tools in the background or my dog trying to bark, I'm trying to keep him quiet. But just in case, I just want to let you know that's what happens when you work at home, right? It's just <laughs> part of it's the new world order. That's right. Um, well, let's talk. Speaking of that, let's talk more about teleworking. Um, our employers responsible for reimbursing business expenses incurred, you know, by their employees when they're working from home? Probably. This issue is actually determined on a state-by-state basis. Each state has its own set of labor laws in this regard. In California, the obligation to reimburse employee expenses is governed by Labor Code Section 2802. Section 2802 requires employers to reimburse their employees for all expenses necessarily incurred in the course and scope of their employment. The purpose of this statute is to prevent employers from passing their operating expenses on to their employees. So as a result of this, employers should understand that they probably will have to reimburse certain expenses incurred by employees who are required to work from home and should consult their employment lawyer to make certain they are handling the situation properly. California takes these issues very seriously, and failure to comply could be very expensive for the employer. Expenses that may be reimbursable could include cell phone charges, internet connection, laptop purchase, teleconferencing software, security upgrades, and the like. If the employer mandates that an employee have a certain item at home or upgrade a piece of technology, the employer will probably have to pay for it. Employers should probably also consider having a written employee expense reimbursement policy in place to um, set out the rules and, and regulations and terms and conditions under which employees will be reimbursed and how they can submit reimbursement request authorizations. 
Well, thank you very much. That's very helpful. And I want to thank you for all of this information today. What we're going to do is continue this next week with part two, where we're going to be covering things like um, California's AB5, Assembly Bill 5, the independent contractor law in California, recent changes to the ACA, um, some new federal forms that were released, uh, grandfather plan proposed rule changes, California paid leave programs, and harassment training requirements here in California. So thanks, Marilyn, for helping me with this part one, and we look forward to talking Talking to you more again next week. Thanks so much for being here. It's been a pleasure, Dorothy. It's always um, a great experience talking through these issues with you that are so important to employers and the HR community. And I have um, enjoyed our time here this afternoon. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon. Um, for those of you that are tuning in, we'll take up part two on this next week. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll-free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.